Welcome to Frontier 3, presented by PatSnap. In this 20-episode podcast series, we will be unpacking the innovation ecosystem of Web3. From tokenized physical goods to the digital assets and smart contracts that will build the metaverse, Web3 is one of the biggest technological and socioeconomic paradigm shifts in history. Join PatSnap's co-founder, Ray Chohan, for a fascinating deep dive into how Web3 will fundamentally change how we live, work, and play. Welcome to Frontier 3. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Episode 8 of Frontier 3 presented by PatSnap. In today's episode, our host, Ray Chohan, sits down with Felix Mago. Felix is the co-founder of Dash, Next, and Futerio. He is focused on driving decentralized finance and cryptocurrency payments forward. You can find Felix building DAOs and other digital innovations for Web3. You are all going to absolutely love today's episode with Felix. And without further ado, let's jump right in to today's episode. Today's episode is brought to you by PatSnap. Learn how to unlock your limitless innovation potential with connected innovation intelligence. CII is an AI-powered technology that comes through millions of disparate data points, segments them by industry and relevance, and weaves the insights together to create a meaningful narrative. The result? A holistic 360-degree market view where you can easily spot risks, identify opportunities, and accelerate the pace of innovation. We created the definitive guide to connected innovation intelligence to give you an in-depth understanding of how CII can help your business innovate better. If you want to grab a copy of this, head over to patsnap.com or click the link in the description of this podcast to get it today. Now, without further ado, let's jump right into today's episode. So Felix, welcome to Frontier Free. Really looking forward to our conversation today. Would love to kick off with just your story and how you ended up in the wonderful world of Web3 and blockchain and 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 your kind of arc into this awesome space. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm super thrilled to be here. Looking at the other previous speakers, like very, very good to be here. So thank you for the invitation. Um, Felix, my name, Felix Mago. I'm in the blockchain space for a very long time, I have to say. It started off 2014 when I was writing for a tech blog um, I was working as a kind of consultant in the financial industry, PR, media, finance. Um, and I was blogging for like basically as a hobby. And we were seeing this thing called Bitcoin coming up and it's like, oh, it's $1. It must be a scam. It's $10. It must be a scam. And we were looking at uh, uh, each other back with my editor in chief and say, like, how can we get this thing? Like, what is it even? Like, how, how do you buy Bitcoin? Um, and that was a challenge back in the day because there were only very untrustworthy sites, uh, Mt. Gox being one of them, where you think like, do I really want to make a bank transfer there? Do I want to give my credit card details to any of these of these weird websites? So we started looking into it and you know, uh, there goes the rabbit hole. I think this is the story everybody knows. You open one door and everything becomes so fascinating. You just cannot look, uh, cannot stop looking into things. And then one thing came to another, you know, I. Um, I more and more moved into blockchain all my all my career. We opened the Blockchain Academy in, in Germany in 2017. And then I was making a move to Thailand. We found a great, or I found a great team there. We, we opened a company called, consulting company called Futerio. 
that does a lot of partnerships, business development, uh, marketing activities in the last year, also a lot of events. And we founded um, all the Dash operations in Asia. That was one of the uh, greatest things that we did in the last year. So we came to Asia when basically there was you know, no crypto payments, no nothing. Everybody was talking about this one use case of Bitcoin and blockchain that was payment. But it didn't really exist, right? There was more um, people dreaming of it than anybody went to the shops, really taught the people how to use these systems, to set up these systems, and especially teach them how to convert um, the crypto that is coming in into fiat money. So that's what we did for last year's and man, so many things have happened. That was really just in a nutshell and I'm already talking forever. And and it's interesting. Well, thanks for that context. I think that's really helpful. And, and over the Christmas vacation, it's interesting. We saw a, a quite a inflammatory post by Jack Dorsey um, talking about how uh, Web3 uh, is will only be meaningful to VCs and investors and retail will get the, the small drops <laughs> in terms of value. And that sparked a lot of uh, uh, interesting conversation over Twitter and some of the, the mainstream and stroke crypto media. And also on a broader sense, obviously Jack views it a certain way and then there's so many different definitions or narratives around Web3 what does Web3 mean to you, Felix? That's a good question. I would say one of the key elements is um, is turning around how, how everything, like the architecture of things. So you could argue that the whole internet is amazing and it has led to, to amazing things. You know, it's like we started off with the internet being not much because you didn't know what to do. I remember when I was the first time in the internet, I made myself an email and then like, who do I write to? I didn't know. So since then, a lot of things happened. We see Uber, we see Airbnb, like all these amazing things. But there is a there is a fundamental flaw in all these things because, you know, my contact data, all my information is basically what, like on, on 500 to 1,000 different servers, like everywhere I've always or I ever set up uh, my profile. So everything is basically stored on the server side, meaning my data is with the corporation. So Web3 is turning really that that principle around by saying, Okay, like there is a um, public-private key architecture in the background, and I'm logging into things. I'm logging into these platforms with my wallet, and this is a fundamental difference. That means I have, I'm in control of a lot of things that, like, kind of all that evolve around that. So, what does that mean, and why is that so important? It's important because I can start to automate all kinds of things without asking for permission from other people, and that is not only great because you know I. I'm the master of my passwords and uh, I have much less chances to, you know, that a company is is hacked and they stole my, steal my passwords without me knowing. This is one element. This is like for, for me and for everybody kind of a key element. But the other side of things, and this is very hard to understand and to grasp in, in my opinion, is that the whole principles basically enables you to automate all kinds of things. So it doesn't matter what you look into in the world, like all companies have set up big processes and, you know, it always requires breaks in, 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 in the flow of process because you cannot automate things. Take, for example, a loan process or opening a bank account or um, finding the best way to to move your money around to to get yields. Now you can build machines that you know that just do that based on this principle I just explained. So and this is for me really the 
the most amazing element about about all this Web3. It has many, many more aspects, but this is like kind of a, a key thing that really keeps me fascinating. And that, in my opinion, kind of um, started all this move to DeFi and to GameFi and to, you know, play to earn and, and all kinds of things. Because with this principle, you can essentially set up completely automated corporations that were just not, you couldn't do that before. And this is really massive and revolutionary. Cool. And in terms of the life cycle where we're at, you have many people use the analogy, we're kind of in 1998 of Web 2 and where we are with Web 3 now. Some people say 2001, 2002, spinning into 2022. Where do you think we are in terms of the adoption curve within the wider context of digital assets and Web3? I mean, obviously, we are still very much at the beginning if you take like the, the, the big scale of things because just most people didn't get it, right? I mean, how many people do have um, an, an, a crypto wallet and how many people from these people who have a crypto wallet, how many people really use DeFi and from these people who use DeFi, how many people use DeFi 2.0? And like, you know, the more crazier you get, um, the, 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 the fewer people it will be. But at these edges is exactly where the innovation is happening. And the people who understand that are so deep inside that they're really building. So you could argue on the other side of like this big picture, there's like a small group of people that are really building a lot of things that is capturing enormous value right now. And this is for me really the, the fascinating thing. So in some ways, I, I sometimes feel like either you're in the bubble and then there's nothing else or you're like outside the bubble and you really don't get it. And this kind of, this gap is is, is a bit hard. So I would say we're still at the beginning, but uh, we have built already things that are, that have huge impact and that, you know, you cannot just get them away anymore. It, it seems like, I like your analogy. It seems like the folks in the bubble are building all the picks and shovels, right? To enable hopefully that mass adoption. What do you think? Um, are the big elephants in the room in terms of enabling that unwrap to way, for example, my sister who knows nothing about Web3 probably doesn't even care to think what MetaMask actually is uh, or the Dharma wallet, for example. What do you think needs to be done in the next year or two years to enable that mass adoption? Because it seems like we're still kind of stuck in the mud when it comes to that element of, of this journey. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for replying to your questions already. And I realized that again, like in a very abstract way. And I think this is what many, many blockchain people always tend to, because, you know, it's like you get an abstract question and you try to answer it like in a very general, general sense. And I think what, what is really missing is to break it down. It's like, why is it, why does it matter? What, what can it do for you? And I can tell you, I was telling you at the beginning of, of, of my journey, we started to build um, crypto payment ecosystems. And I can tell you, you know, we went to a lot of, of normal restaurants, mama noodle shops in, in, in the Bangkok street corner and talk to these people and say, hey, do you want to accept cryptocurrency? It's amazing. It's like, uh, you know, it's, it's without the banks, it's without government and censorships. And people look at you and like, hey, what do you want from me? Like, I, don't, I don't even understand what you're, what you're talking about. But the moment you tell them, hey, listen, like I have this payment system. It works the same like all these QR code things that you are used to. It works like WeChat, like like Alipay. You know that stuff. You have it already on your door. Um, you don't have to pay any installation fee because I'm coming here. I'm making it for free. And not only that, 
like I have these Telegram groups with with Dash, and they have like hundreds thousands of people in there, even millions of people. And I'm shooting your restaurant over there. I will make photos and I will show these people that you exist. And, you know, it will bring you customers. You don't have to pay anything. And last but not least, I will get that that crypto money that you get. I will convert it to Thaibot and get it to your bank account. So basically, I offer you an, a, a free end-to-end -end solution. You have nothing to lose. What do you think the people say? Of course, they say, yeah, sure, I try it. And once you realize, hey, my, I get new customers. And once you realize, wow, this is my first crypto payment, things you know, start to matter and you, you, you kind of have a, an emotional relation to these things. And you know, from what I've realized is the moment people start to do their first crypto transaction, start to do their first um, um, transaction with MetaMask into a DeFi account and see, wow, I get interest rate for US dollars where I didn't get interest rate on my bank account anymore. This is where, where it starts clicking. And these are the cataclysms that I think are you know, kind of inevitable that uh, that this is scaling more and more and and the moment you have something the moment you see hey it, it makes sense you will tell your friends about it and that's exactly what we are what we are seeing so i don't worry you know that that it will happen is it one year two years five years i don't think it will be that long and maybe one other topic that we can 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 touch on is like all this new move to um with the play to earn so basically playing computer games for money um, you can see already that there are millions of people for you know, just makes so much sense. Yeah, obviously you had Axie Infinity right in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. Who've and I know there's, I mean, there's kids in Argentina, Brazil playing that game. It, it's been one of the big standout stories, in particular of of last year. So it's interesting unpacking your journey with Dash. Then, so you describe that story of being in Thailand, trying to win the hearts and minds of mom and pop shops. At restaurants, um, general groceries, and just getting them on that payment rail and getting access to that type of customer. How has that journey been? I mean, it looks like a lot of what you do there, Felix, is the real frontline business development and marketing, right? And partnerships to win those hearts and minds, right? Through various mm -hmm. kind of partnerships that you connect. So, so, so that I kind of know what that is like when you're building, say, a Web2 software business in the early years. Mm -hmm. No one knows who you are. No one cares about what your software really does. No one knows your brand in a B2B context. So the first one or two years is demonstrating value, but also very much winning hearts and minds. It is very much selling. So how do you what are you finding? You're on the front line. What are the common objections you're hearing from folks who kind of from a distance know a little bit about Bitcoin and, and digital payments, but don't really get it. What, what are some of the big hurdles that you've experienced with your journey at Dash on the business development side of things? I mean, a, a lot of things changed to be fair, right? This was really the, the way we kicked off because as I, as I mentioned, when we started in, in, in 2017 to bring Dash to Asia, there was not much of, of crypto payment basically anywhere anywhere in the world and especially not uh, uh, in Asia. When we started there, a few people have put the Bitcoin sticker on their door claiming that they accept Bitcoin. So we kind of tried every single uh, single one of them in Bangkok. There was about 50 shops just to realize, you know, none of them really accepted Bitcoin because it was just a sticker on the door. And, you know, after somebody put it there, it was just forgotten because nobody ever came and paid with Bitcoin. So of course it's like a constant process of, of training people and of making making people aware of what it is. 
because at the end of the day, they, you know, if you if you don't use it and if you don't speculate, you you kind of have have no connection with it. So obviously, um, a lot of people are very skeptic because they have like a hearsay about Bitcoin. So it's like it's drug money, it's a scam, it's not real, uh, it, it's extremely volatile, and the government doesn't like it. So these are kind of the things you you really have to deal with. But then again, as I as I mentioned before, the moment you can present like an end-to-end -end solution saying, hey, I I give you the QR code, you get money on your bank account. It's actually the same like Alipay. Then people start to think, oh, okay, let's try it out. And and shortly after realize it's it's not so different. So I would say really it's you know you have to sit down and try things. And I think this is not only with Bitcoin payment, but it's also with DeFi, it's with DeFi 2.0, with NFTs, with play to earn, all that stuff. And frankly, everything in the world, right? I mean, learning a language is not so different and, and going, you know, building muscles in the gym. You will not build your muscles uh, tomorrow, but you will do it in one year when you constantly do it. And if you really sit down and after three hours, you manage to do your first transaction and, after two hours you set up your wallet you do your first transaction you uh, learn two days more and you're able to have a metamask wallet and and do your first DeFi move so really it's a matter of of sitting down and and learn it i think and once you do it you you will realize you know it's it has very positive effects for you and for your life so this is interesting you've done a lot of great work in thailand what is the lay of the land felix in, in that part of the world i mean where where are they on the curve? Are they using stable coins? Are they are they are mum and pup shops transacting in satoshis for day to day items? Is it kind of like El Salvador with what they're doing with the Lightning Network? Like, what's actually happened in Thailand in terms of the actual detail of what's going on? Mm -hmm. oh, it's a great. It's a very complex question. I have to say, there's many different like. I, I, I am German, so I, I moved here from uh, from Germany, was working for a long time in the European blockchain space, especially the German one, Berlin being like a kind of a mecca in the European ecosystem. But, you know, business is, is different all over. Many things are, are different. So let's for, for one second stick with the example really of the payment. So the first obvious difference is that if you're in Asian countries, there is no um, unified currency uh, like the like the euro or a huge area that that is covered by the US dollar. No, there is like a lot of different countries with uh, different with different currencies, completely different regulations, <clears throat> and really completely different uh, consumer behavior or or speculation behavior. So this is this definitely was a big challenge when we started here in Asia because you know it meant for us we could not just scale all over Asia with with the one that fits all solution, like you would have in the US or in, in Europe, like when you, you know, when you fulfill one regulation in Europe, you're kind of easy to go to the other countries, but that's not at all the case in Asia. So that was a big struggle and obviously led to a lot of conversations with regulators, uh, with banks, with different payment service providers, like all the backend infrastructure that, that enables, that enables payment. Um, but hey, I can say after a couple of years, you know, we figured out a lot of things and we, we kind of extended our um, initially Dash Thailand project basically to become a global Asia focused partnership uh, project. So we, we, you know, find partner, found partnerships um, in Singapore, Vietnam, Indonesia, 
uh, Korea, Japan, like all over the place. Basically, we, we kind of had um, activities in different scales. But so this is one side, and this is kind of the, the, the payment side of things, a lot of differences. But at the end of the day, you know, people, like I, like I mentioned before, more and more people starting to use it. And I would say it's still so far, it's rather exotic all over the world than it's, than it's super standard to pay with cryptocurrency. At the same time, there's more and more people earning cryptocurrency. So they kind of have a, you know, I would say, a need to spend it because, you know, what you're going to do, either you speculate more or you do something nice for your life. So you spend it, you you get a good restaurant, you get a good travel or, or something. So there is more and more options to spend it. Um, but there's much more in, in terms of cultural differences. And one thing I, I always find funny being here in Asia or being in Asia and, and doing business here is that, you know, if you... If you are Western, uh, uh, grown up and educated, you often tend to forget that there's a huge part of the world that is completely different with completely different cultures and completely different people. So there's like a huge hype and, you know, gaming, for example, we just mentioned it with the, with the Axis Infinity hype. I mean, just if you look at the monitors of people, you will see even the games are different, you know, they're so colorful and they're like, for me, they're, they're, I mean, it's, it's, it's making me crazy because it's too colorful. I cannot stand it. But, you know, there seems to be a, a, a cultural vibe that, that likes different things and appreciates different things. So I think that's very important to consider. And, you know, um, even scaling businesses, running, running businesses here in Asia might be different, you know, to, to, uh, on, on many details, I would say. So it's very important to kind of be here and learn about that. And obviously your experience, I mean, you're one of the trailblazers, kind of early believers in the space, right? You've been doing BD marketing in the blockchain space, what, since 2017, initially in Germany on the enterprise side, now um, in Thailand with Dash, where it's B2C stroke B, right? It's a mixture of everything. Now we're going into 2022 and we've seen organizations like Chainlink do a hell of a job in terms of number of node operators, partnerships with really big names. I think they're one of the the lighthouse uh, companies for the enterprise blockchain and and getting uh, the B2B world activated. But in a broader sense, where do you think it's going to head in the next year or so? Do you think like the big auto players in Germany, Austria, the big B2B brands in the US, um, in Asia will start deploying DLT technology, some form of tokenization, some form of fractionalized payments. Where are we on that journey, in your opinion, from a business development standpoint? Because you, you've got a great pulse of the market, right? Because you're getting responses and feedback from economic uh, decision makers and buyers every day, right? So where are we out on that journey, Felix? Yeah, thank you, Ray. Thank you for all the props here. We just had a, a quick pre-conversation and figuring out, you know, we kind of both coming from this... Uh, uh, innovation side of things to help you know the, the 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 good old traditional corporations become more digital and now uh, become more blockchain which is even even a bigger challenge than just making them digital so it has different elements again there's like all this traditional world and you know like i like i said before frankly i'm i'm happy for everybody who's using blockchain but i kind of a bit over to convince you why why you have to use blockchain and I, to be fair, you know, it's, it's not easy to, to just do something different as a corporation that also, fair, to be fair, is earning a lot of money without blockchain, right? So kind of 
changing your your running systems is very risky it's very expensive and um, if you don't understand the business case before it's kind of very unlikely um, to happen i what i know in blockchain is that i don't know what is happening next month and i'm i know for sure that there's i don't know any industry that is um, coming up with new stuff so fast and where people also you know like everybody's working 24 7 so people are kind of pushing it, pushing it just to the limit, you know, it's like until they, they cannot work more uh, physically. This is kind of the, the environment and not because you have to, but just because everybody's so super hyped to do these things, right? So just to summarize before I go to what is happening in 2020, let's just recap one second what actually happened in 2021. I remember being, um, you know, having Christmas time in 2020 going into 21. That was the moment when when the bull market started and we we're like yeah finally we are out of the valley of tears like the, the the long lasting bear market is over finally you know and just before DeFi kind of uh, started on ethereum and extended to other blockchains so it was a time when when binance smart chain was was suddenly popular but then, you know, a lot of things happened. Suddenly DeFi happened not only on Ethereum and on Binance Smart Chain, but it happened on 25 other blockchains. And you see kind of history repeating in, in the DeFi space with decentralized uh, DEXs, lending protocols, yield farmers, yield maximizers, uh, leveraged yield farming, leveraged trading, all that kind of stuff, perpetuals coming out and like I said, not only on one, but on, on different blockchains. Then we had the NFT hype with all the art stuff that is going on. Then we discovered, hey, we can actually do uh, DeFi with NFTs. We can, you know, kind of use that stuff as a collateral to, again, build money-making machines. We can kind of make whole game economies that are based on, on, on you know, a balanced economy that rewards players by playing and that uh, enables secondary market for everything that is in the game. Um, we saw the launch pads coming up because we're seeing so much interest and so much money coming into the market that everybody wants to have a piece of that pie. So there's already, you know, like so many things happening that are completely beyond what you just, what you just asked me in the, in the, in the initial questions, like, is that, you know, how do corporates moving in? Maybe it's not even interesting that corporates move in as long as there's people who, who get what it's happening. And that there's people who want to be involved, that people who want to be, who want to invest. But I find really funny is that there's not a lack of capital at all. Uh, as a matter of fact, everybody wants kind of these early allocations, private allocations, early rounds. And you can see that just on the plain numbers of the launch pads. I mean, I just saw on, I think on CoinList, I believe it was uh, around 450,000 people registered for a token sale recently where um, I think 25,000 got an allocation of what, like 200, 200 bucks or something. So people are lining up to get these allocations and it's just, it's just insane what is happening there. Right. And in that sense, you know, my prediction for 2022 is that it will only accelerate because more money is coming in, more people are coming in and the ideas are not only evolving, but there's building blocks that you can just use to put stuff together. You mentioned Chainlink as you know, kind of the Oracle and price feeds and everything. Yeah, it's a great company. It's also there's also a lot more, I would say, right? It's not, I mean, to, to have price feeds is one building block, but now you can not only have price feeds, you can say, I take the decks from here, I take a decentralized lending protocol, and now I find a way 
to uh, make my NFTs as a collateral. So we are just developing a project called Space, a metaverse with like the whole concept of NFTs inside. So my idea is there to say, hey, let's get a cool partner on board. I know how to say Swatch, for example, you know, like let's sell, let's sell uh, uh, watches, but let's sell not only physical watches, let's sell also digital watches. And let's make a collector's edition of them and kind of find a way that we can either sell them together, sell them separated, create an own complete um, secondary market for the digital watch and kind of in the long run make a partnership with um, a lending protocol that enables me to use that watch as a collateral for the house I buy in, I don't know, in at the Thailand beach. So it's like, you know, the things get more crazy as we go. And uh, I think it's getting easier and easier to pluck this stuff together once you understand what you want and what is the business case. I, I couldn't agree with you more, this kind of unlimited composability element of Web3. I think Chris Dixon calls it Lego blocks, right? Like you can just build on top of someone else's previous work and it's the ultimate mm -hmm. innovation flywheel, right? Probably the best digital innovation flywheel in human history we're potentially embarking on, right? So it's, it's only left to the imagination and ingenuity of the community to see what, what can be built so so obviously 2022 kind of continued uh, acceleration on the momentum we've had um from last year but when it comes to more of that mass adoption of wallet users so you can see with metamask i think their monthly active users is around about i think 12 to 14 million it's absolutely tiny it, what specifically needs to be done um to make sure there's a wallet on everyone's phone because i for example i still don't really use a wallet day to day nor do any of my friends or family it's still a very niche uh capability but it seems like that would be one of the the big moments to make it more of a a mass technology so what needs to be done like ground level to enable that in your professional opinion mm. that's a good question one comment to what you just said before i think you know in bankers and, and lawyers are already extremely good in kind of making these machines and putting this stuff together, right? And now there's kind of a new group of people, which is the nerds and the, the people who can build technology who are also able to build stuff together. I mean, just look at, at the, the variety of banking products that we are now rebuilding with, with all this decentralized, decentralized technology. So this is already kind of a massive thing and it's a massive uh, value driver. And, you know, just to put it in perspective, I mean, how many people are building these products, these traditional finance products versus how many people are using them, right? So kind of the core of, of the banker people is just, you know, the same niche, like like it, it's going to be in blockchain, right? So the question is, like, does everybody need to know kind of all these details about, um, you know, how to use MetaMask, how to secure your, your passports? I actually believe, you know, the moment, as long as it is the case, we will not reach that tipping point. I mean, how many people can explain the iPhone? How many people can explain you how TCP IP works to use your internet browser? You know, nobody. And if 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 that would be the requirement, probably we wouldn't sit here and, and do this interview. So, you know, in a, in a sense, it's we will see it sooner or later there, there, there's going to be a tipping point of, of somebody who kind of solves that UI UX challenge on the one side and kind of all the security and, and headache-free using of blockchain solutions challenge that yeah, for now is sadly, it's just 
it's just painful to do it right now. I agree, right? I mean, I'm using MetaMask daily. I'm doing a lot of DeFi stuff. So the more you use it, the easier it gets as well. But as I said before, you have to sit down and learn it because stuff will go wrong. And, you know, it, uh, everything, something goes wrong. It will take more and more time. But uh, the moment you solve it, you can be happy about yourself. So I don't know. I think it's really UX, UI challenge on the one side and um, kind of a, yeah, a challenge of, of what is actually the thing that you use. You know, is it, will it be a computer game? I, I believe the moment some, you know, some company or, or product will start to use it that, that is really wanted by a lot of people. That's kind of the tipping points we need. And, and the more we have of them, the better. So just to give you some example, you know, like if GTA or Rockstar kind of a game in this in this size and, and uh, usage is starting to use to use blockchain, you know, that's going to be um, very good for the for the whole industry. And frankly, that's exactly what we are seeing right now with Sandbox, Decentraland, um, the metaverse we are building right now with Space. So there's a lot of uh, promising things happening. Yeah, it seems like Sandbox they're all in, and then you've got. Um... I think Atlas, Star Atlas seems really interesting as a AAA rated game. And obviously then Axie, I agree with you. I can't look at Axie more than a minute. It drives me nuts. To, too much going on. <laughs> it's popular in Asia, but I completely understand where you're coming from. But it seems like the current incumbents, Microsoft, Epic Games, they actually don't have much of an incentive at the moment to adopt Web three yeah. capability because if they have this kind of wall garden, it's more profitable that way. So, do you see the the big incumbents coming across? Because at the moment, it looks like they're being very standoffish and 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 have kind of pulled out. Really, you even saw with Discord, they enabled a kind of ETH capability, then backed out. So, I'm finding some of the incumbents who still are kind of modern incumbents and fast growing ones still sitting on the fence so do you think you'll see some big announcements this year where they actually come on board it's funny that you say that because it's exactly the point that that i was trying to make before right if you're a big corporation you have a running business and frankly you're not too much into blockchain you won't get that stuff but star atlas and gta are, are amazing examples right what does gta do and how do they earn money right they sell copies of their game and you know sometimes they sell a copy to the end customer directly or you know there's a middleman in between but at the end of the day they, they you know they sell their game and maybe they they get a little bit from the subscription you make to play gta online so star atlas kind of took it to an extreme to say we are building an mmorpg an open world game where everything in this game is i is sold by the company as an nft right so every starship i use every starship that is flying around in this game somebody bought it on the market and initially the company was selling it, was selling it to the market. And not only that they sell the Starship, they also sell you the pilot license to fly the Starship because otherwise uh -huh, you cannot, cannot fly your Starship. They sell you a pet, they sell you a, a skin if you want to have a pink instead of a black Starship. They sell you a satellite that is flying around the Starship, right? So just, I mean, just look at this business model, right? And, and I, my argument is that most that I would say these big companies, they just didn't get it yet. The moment they will start understanding what is happening there, there kind of is no other way around because the business model is just so much, so much better for them if they, if they use it and not only for them, but also for all these people that are using secondary markets that are 
know, the kind of have an incentive to trade these items, to arbitrage these items, to use these items, to earn money as a job. So I believe it's kind of inevitable. In hindsight, it was inevitable, inevitable as well. What I hear often in blockchain, and it's kind of a funny, a funny saying, but probably you need a bit to understand and digest it because it's so big and so um, complex what is happening there. Yeah, I couldn't agree. It's interesting when you described it earlier with the big guys, why change now? But when they start seeing, and it does just take time, right? You've got to win hearts and minds. There is politics and career risk in large companies to make that type of decision because it's people who will pull the trigger, right? And those people are worried about career risk. Are they at that age where they don't really give a shit? They're going to be retiring soon. So why take on that kind of extra burden, right? There's all these things going on. It's, it's people. But I couldn't agree with you more because once they realize digital GDP is exponential and we can't even fathom how big that value unlock will be, I see them slowly coming on board because I think no one really understands digital GDP and the fact that it's going to be probably four or five times in the order of magnitude of analog GDP, GDP that we see every day today and when we're walking around at the shop. So I think that that penny hasn't dropped at the moment in, from what I can see. Yeah. And I mean, you know, just stick with with, with the, the innovation narrative for, for a second, right? I mean, if you do innovation professionally and you help companies to, to become innovative, it's not you know, it, it's it's not uh, how you say it's not you don't change one thing and everything is suddenly more innovative, right? It's a matter of culture, it's a matter of process, it's a matter of legal, of business model, of technology, of people, and obviously, and I think this is what we have seen before in the times where you know the internet suddenly came, and suddenly there were these young, like fast uh, uh, mm-hmm. moving internet companies that. That you know, and Amazon came up, and now oh, look at Amazon, look at Uber, look at Airbnb. You know how massive they are, and how much they brought old industries into trouble. So if you look at that dynamics, I think it's just it's just so much more unlikely that a company that is established that has already three hundred or five hundred people. You know, we we say they don't they don't understand this business model. But even if like five people of the three hundred, or let's say one hundred of the three hundred just suddenly understand, hey, wow, we should do a completely different business model. It's not like this is changing the whole organization. On the other hand, is like if you are a new company that is just coming up, you know, you start with three people, you grow to five to 10 to 50, you know, slowly you become more and more like that as well. I think that's kind of an inevitable um, structural drift of, of becoming bigger and more, more established in the market, right? And I guess this is also a big factor it is really beyond blockchain to be fair right and this is kind of just repeating and kind of accelerating uh, the more that that tech becomes and evolves faster so i think blockchain is just you know another kind of making the, the the thing that we have seen with digital and internet is just making things more faster and even more crazy in terms of how much money you can earn yeah it looks like history always repeats itself felix and it just yeah. rhymes different this time around so I would probably share your sentiment. It's really going to be the native Web3 folks who are the next Airbnb, Uber of this space just by design and and, and people. I, I, I would bet with you, I'm, I'm, I'm in your camp for that. However, there is existing incumbents who 
are doing interesting stuff. So, 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 what, what I think is interesting is this, but it's actually interesting, but actually quite easy to do. Uh, because so, so, let's look at say Nike right right now, right? You see what Adidas are doing. They're obviously now deploying NFT capability and slowly tiptoeing in the world into the world of Web three via NFTs. But if you really look at it, it's not much risk for them because they're already trying to move their business to D2C, right? Direct to consumer is the future for all of the big apparel brands. So really NFTs is just a potential accelerant of that D2C shift that they've been working on since 2014 anyway. So that's why we're seeing kind of interesting moves on the NFT side within the clothing and fashion market. However, I actually don't think it's that much of a big deal internally for them because selling it internally is probably a lot more easier because you just go to your board and say, look, we've got a D2C strategy. This is just a nice bolt-on to accelerate our original fucking goal anyway. So that, that that's why that's interesting, but I don't give it so much credit and eyeballs because it's just building on kind of a business plan they have in place already with direct-to-consumer. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And even the same, I would even to, to, to go a step further, like it's it's even more extreme if you compare that to governments, right? I mean, it's it's not only in blockchain, but how, you know, look at how fast technology is developing and how fast we, we can do things and how fast uh, uh, governments are lagging behind. I mean, you know, obviously, crypto is more and more regulated, but now we're at a point where we finally, you know, talk about is Bitcoin, like can we can we tax Bitcoin if we do a payment with it? Or it can be used, you know, how can we use stable coins? It's like, okay, we're talking about stable coins. It's 2022 in crypto, right? And we were just talking about uh, uh, DeFi 2.0 and about uh, uh, play to earn stuff where, you know, millions of people already have their income in crypto. So it's kind of the gap is like, is like widening. And I would argue the gap between crypto development and regulation is even, even bigger than uh, the gap between corporate business models or moving into the blockchain space where, where, versus you know the native blockchain companies but i totally share share your sentiment you know it's like probably the same people who you know who who were born after 2008 or you know were born in a world that that just has the iphone right whereas the people who were born in 1990 were still born in a world without without the internet more or less right I guess that's a, a very important factor too. Yeah, I think demographics and timing always plays a, a big role in, in this cycle. And it's interesting you mentioned regulation and you gotta you got to get the government on board, right? There's actually a great book. I highly recommend it, Felix. It's by a, a chap called Azim Azar. It's called The Exponential Age. That's the title of the book. And he's got a whole chapter on uh, the exponential gap. And it's, a whole kind of part of the book, which is focused around how government are always slow to catch up, right? Because you've got corporate innovation, early stage entrepreneurship moving quick, but then regulatory frameworks stuck. I mean, you look at the securities law in the US, it was composed in 1933. It's crazy, right? It doesn't even have a framework to get its arms around digital assets and tokens, right? It's kind of saying everything's a security, but potentially it isn't. But what I am bullish on, and I'm curious to get your kind of more, say, European and maybe Asia context. Obviously, there was a hearing in the US, right, just before Christmas, where I think it was Mr. Brooks 
um, Sam Brankman fried from FTX and a couple of other folks, I think the CEO from Celsius. I think it was a five-hour hearing. I don't know if you watched it. I was actually really impressed with the questions. Yeah. And 80% of folks from Congress were trying to meet folks halfway, right? And and trying to learn and, and actually had good questions. And then there were those 20% who just ask shit questions and they're just there to try to catch people out. But 80% of it was really good. So that was a good signal. Where do you, where do you think we are in, in Europe and obviously your time spent in Thailand on the government side of things, starting off with Germany first and the DAC region, where are we out on that front from a government standpoint? Like I just said, in my opinion, you know, we are, we're so far behind, but you know, it is what it is. We are, we, we have to deal with stuff. I, I, it really depends on the perspective, right? It's like a, it's where we at really depends what you want to do. So it's a different story if you are if you're somebody who wants to accept Bitcoin as your um, as your restaurant and kind of put that in 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 your official tax papers. I think we are still in Germany, in Asia, and frankly in the U.S. in a situation where uh, neither the guy who makes your taxes really knows what's going on. And it just has a kind of a, a cost-benefit ratio that is that is not viable for you, right? This is one thing I think as a trader and investor, you're way better off being a German than being an American. I mean, not there. There is a good reason why all these platforms don't want you if you are if you are an American, and uh, as a German or a European, you most likely have have zero problems. Asia is kind of in the middle. Um, in that i guess on the other hand there's like all the crypto adoption and you know just use it to have your daily life and that's what we said before you know i strongly believe that this will be the biggest job market in a couple of years from now because the advantages are just so so massive right if you're um if you're building a DAO and you're building kind of this 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 uh, machine-like organization that has clear rules of inclusion um, that are way more straightforward and and can you know can get you your daily salary. You you just have a big advantage. And what I mean with that, I mean I'm I'm kind of probably one of the few hundred people in the world that are working in a DAO and that kind of get their their salary from a DAO for for many years now. I can tell you it's it's massive, you know, and it really changed your your relationship to things. I mean, once you you get paid in crypto, suddenly your whole points of reference in life are in crypto, right? You ask yourself, is a um, cheeseburger for zero point one dash expensive or not? Or you know, it's kind of the same for like a ten dollar cheeseburger. You wouldn't buy that, right? Um, so this is kind of an, an emotional reference, but there's you know other other elements compared to who you are, where you are. So let's say you're an African, or even me as a German trying to get a job at a, a U.S.-based uh, corporation, I'm gonna have a hard time because there's so much paperwork to do, so much um, things that just make me less interesting than any other candidate that uh, that already has the green card or already has an American passport. So I think these things are are at the end of the day, kind of the catalysts that uh, will change a lot of things. And I mean, it's for me pretty obvious that there is a lot of loss globally, and there's there's a lot of people who are just disadvantaged by who they are, where they are from, what is their passport, what is their background, and um, I would say you know we are leveling the playing field with these DAOs and and with these stuff with these. Um, um, 
ways to pay and to get a job, to get hired, to contribute to something that you really like and enjoy. And that's, you know, beyond regulation, what is, what is um, really amazing. And I think, you know, the more you are off these, these uh, first world countries, the more you will feel a need for it. So, so unpacking DAOs, again, there's so many folks on LinkedIn and that will be the big community, which is our audience with Frontier 3. They've got no clue what a DAO is, a decentralized autonomous organization, what that form factor of an LLC will be in the future. So it's interesting. You have frontline experience of this. As you mentioned, you're probably a tiny, tiny 0.00001% minority in the world who actually generate their income through a DAO. So are you currently, is Dash currently working in a, in a DAO structure? And, and if so, in the most simplest format for our audience, how does that work? And what are some of the benefits? Because the way you described it is like, right now I've seen a DAO. I can never go back to working for a normal company. Once you've seen, it's like when you see the iPhone, you're like, holy shit, I'm never going to go back to a Nokia 3310, right? So firstly, what is a DAO? And just some nitty gritty day-to-day detail of, why you think DAOs have been so amazing uh, to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Okay, that will open another hours of conversation if you start opening that door. So let me, let me try to uh, keep, it, keep it short and simple. Sure. A DAO, in a, in, in a sense, it's kind of a completely automated organization that has kind of predefined and completely automated their, their processes. It's basically what many corporations try to do, but then you will see, you know, there's always kind of checkpoints where you cannot do kind of a completely fully automated digital process where you need people in between, where you have breaks in systems, where you kind of need to to put data from one to another point um, and you cannot automate it. So a DAO in kind of, in a way, is kind of a way to to automate an organization in, in all of its processes. So that can, you know, there's different organizations where this is more or less complex. What Dash is doing um, is basically like Bitcoin. They are um, creating new Dash um, with every block and miners who contribute or or usually in Bitcoin, there's a process where the miners um, are validating these blocks and therefore they are getting incentivized by getting some of the, uh, by getting the rewards that are produced block by block. Um, Dash says this is a very important element to have in a in in a blockchain because this is a um, one feature of the security. But it's not all because at the end of the day, you also need people that kind of make this project successful. So what they said is, hey, let's let's divide this um, these block rewards. Like essentially, the the money we print, we don't only give it to the miners. We also give it to people who work for this system. And how can you work for the system? We kind of set up a, um, a forum looking like a, a internet page where you can say, hey, I have an idea. I want to do something for Dash. So in our case, it was saying, hey, we want to, to build up payment ecosystem in Thailand. We want that merchants accept Dash in Thailand. Um, our goal is to, I don't know, to reach 50, 100, 150 merchants this is the budget we need. This is the steps we take in order to execute that. Are you willing to fund us? And then there is a community of people uh, who have voting rights. Also, this is a predefined uh, process and they can say, yes, I trust you guys that you will do it. Um, 
here's the money, go out and do it. And, you know, once uh, we have started, yeah, it, uh, it became a self-fulfilling prophecy that, you know, we, we were able to get more and more um, success there and kind of reached our goals, reached our KPIs and build trust within this community. Wow. Yeah, but that was not too abstract, but in this, in, no, no, in no. a sense, it's a, in a sense, a very pre, it's, it's actually a, a set of rules that you have to go into and, and learn about these set of rules. Like what are the requirements? What is the process? And how is the money distributed at the end of the day? These are core elements of, of any DAO. And the sub DAO in Thailand, you're compensated then in Dash or in Bitcoin? Um, yes, in Dash, mm -hmm, of course. Oh, wow. Wow. Yes. You can imagine how companies could build a sales force that way, right? You could have people in region selling for you, but they're part of more of a DAO rather than a company. So, so that's fascinating. But I've really enjoyed the exchange with you today, Felix. I mean, we've covered a whole number of different rabbit holes. It'll be awesome to do maybe part two some point in the summer to get a, a sense of the level of land. Just for our audience, where can people best find you in terms of getting in touch with, with you and, and the team at Dash? Thanks so much for having me. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Felix Mago, M-A-G-O, or on Twitter, um, Felix Crypto, Felix Mago Crypto, there you will find me. Nice um, one, Felix. Exactly. Thank of you. course, you can also reach me at uh, felix at dashnext.org. Brilliant. Excellent. Look forward to part two and uh, you have an awesome start to the year. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ray. And there you have it, everyone, for today's episode with Felix Mago. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure you hit that subscribe button. If you love today's episode, then share this podcast out with a friend or colleague who you feel like would really benefit from listening to today's podcast. Again, for listening to today's podcast, you can get Pat Snap's number one Amazon best-selling ebook, The Definitive Guide to Connected Innovation Intelligence, where in this white paper, they explore what CII is, who it's for, and how the world's disruptors are using it to win in hyper-competitive markets. And to download this free copy of this ebook for you podcast listeners out there, all you have to do is click the link in the description of this podcast or head over to patsnap.com to download your free copy today. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We'll be back next week with another one. Continue to embrace your childlike wonder and stay curious.